Light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond Farside Chats. Hello and welcome to Leave Our World a Better Place. My name is Kasia and today I'll be speaking to Crispon Demboka, East Africa Regional Manager for Africa Foundation. Crispo will be speaking to us about the project that Africa Foundation works on in the communities in Kenya, Tanzania, and Zanzibar, focusing specifically on healthcare. Crispo, thank you so much for chatting to me today to tell us a little bit about Africa Foundation and the work it does in East Africa. Thank you, Kesha. Thank you. Um, Crispa, before we begin getting into the details of the projects that you work with and talking a little bit about healthcare in particular, um, I'd like to find out a little bit about yourself and your background. Please, could you tell us a little bit about where you come from and what your background was before you joined Africa Foundation? Thank you, Kesha. My name is Crispo Dembeka. I come from southern uh, area of Tanzania around Lake Nyasa, a place called Mamba Bay. But uh, personally, I was born in Tabora, which is central Tanzania, and I spent much of my life around coastal area, that is Tanga and Dar es Salaam. That's where I did my primary and secondary education. Also, my university education in Dar es Salaam. My father was a telecommunication engineer, and my mother was a teacher. So due to nature of my father, our family was moving a lot around the country and also outside the country because my father was working with the East Africa community by that time. So that's the reason for me spending much of my life in different areas. And for, for me to, to, to become a, a medical doctor, I think uh, there is two reasons to that one. Uh, first, my mother used to like to, 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 to say to me that... Uh, I would like you to, to do something with the people, like a service to the people. And by that time, I could see only two options, either a teacher or a medical doctor. And I opted for a medical doctor. And I think the second reason to that, during my childhood, between five and nine years, I spent much of my life in the hospital due to some respiratory issues, like uh, allergic reactions. So I became very familiar to hospital environment. And I think I fall in love with the hospital environments. So it triggers me to become a medical doctor. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's, you must have had quite a good hospital experience then. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, Chris Potts, it's, you know, in a way it makes sense, but it's also a big move from, um, you know, being a medical doctor to, to working with Africa Foundation. How did you first become aware of Africa Foundation and the work that it that it does? Um, and what attracted you to want to to work for the foundation? Yeah, thank you, Kesha. I think uh, there is a reason to that one. Like uh, the way that I fall in love with the medical uh, medical field, but on my my final year of study, uh, I lost my mother. And then the hospital environment was not like a, a very good place for me, especially when we lose someone, we lose a patient in the hospital. Uh, all the feelings was coming back to me and I could feel that the pain those family of the, the one who they lost someone, they're, they're feeling. So I decided that I still want to work with people, but maybe in a different environment. 
So I started to look for, for options. And one of my colleagues who was uh, like uh, uh, four years ahead of me, he was working in the tourism sector. And then I started uh, to check with him, like, how comes a doctor you're in the tourism sector? And then he told me that, no, there is clinics here where we look after guests and staff. So I said, oh, probably that's a place maybe I need to go uh, and work. And then I got invitation from his company to go and relieve him because he was going for his studies. So I, I went and worked there, and that was Serengeti, right on the Western Corridor. The company he was working was like 16 kilometers from Grumeti Serengeti Tented Camp, which is owned by NBOD. And by that time, Grumeti didn't have a, a, a clinic or a medical personnel on ground. So they used to come to, to our camp for the medical treatment and so and then through the chats of the patient from, 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 from Grumeti, that's where I became aware of the Envion company and its value, like care of the people, care of the land and care of the wildlife. And to me, uh, that was a very, very good insight. It was speaking a lot to me to what actually I wanted to do. And it happens to a day that uh, one of the patients I was attending was a, a general manager, but he did not uh, disclose his identity. Okay. Uh, Scott. So, yeah. So, Scott teenager, we were just chatting and so and So, he brought stuff, but also he came in for like consultation. Mm-hmm. So, we chatted like more than one hour. And then later, right at the end, he asked me like, uh, if we will have to open a clinic, will you be happy to join us? And my answer, my response was direct like, uh, Yes. And he was saying, like, have you seen our environment? Uh, you don't want to come and visit? I said, no, no, no. Environment for me, as long as it's medical, I'll be working with people. And with the values I love, they are there. Environmental, I can survive in any environment. So that's one of the how I get to know and beyond as a company. And then later, I think after a year, that was 2006, uh, I joined and beyond Grumet Serengeti Tented Camp, and I was the first one to start the clinic there, the Lord in the clinic. So I started the clinic there, and while I was there, through induction, I get to learn about uh, Africa Foundation. Yes, and then uh, I've, I love the part of the Africa Foundation, the way it is, it's working with people, uh, which it has been my dream uh, throughout my journey. So... It was for me like uh, this is a place uh, I need to 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 work with. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. So it was the ideal opportunity to combine your skills with your desire to work for people and for communities. Absolutely. And also, I was given other option. Like uh, I think uh, my career grows very quickly to the to, in the hospitality industry. That I got to the level of assistant lodge manager, and one of my portfolio was to look after the community, the nearby community around Lake Victoria. And I remember one of the very highlight projects, which I remember we did together, uh, it was to, to have a malaria project within the, the park and also outside the park. So we were working with Tanapa and the community to have a malaria, malaria program to take it down because it, the area was so bad with mosquito and malaria cases. And I'm very happy that with the collaboration with the people, we managed to get to a success that uh, even today when you go there, you can be very relaxed that it's free from malaria. 
So being having that uh, Africa Foundation part is one of my portfolio gave me a very good access to the community and start working with the leadership structures within the community and the government as well. So when it came to opportunity that uh, Africa Foundation they were looking for for someone, a regional program officer, uh, to me it was like, okay, this is a, my best opportunity now to work with the community. In hospitality, yes, I was working with guests, but here I work with the community program which they need me more and then someone else can do the hospitality part. So that's why I shifted to Africa Foundation. Now, um, you are currently the regional manager for East Africa for Africa Foundation. And I know that involves working with a lot of communities throughout Kenya, Tanzania, Zanzibar. Could you tell us a little bit about those communities that Africa Foundation works with in East Africa? You know, where are they situated? Who are the people they're made out of? Up of what? What? What is the situation that that they are facing? East Africa region is a uh, very interesting, especially on its its uh, geographical distribution. La Tanzania and Kenya, and when you talk about Tanzania, it's mainland and Zanzibar. So. If we put it into clusters, like we have Lake Manyara cluster, where we have like three communities, Moya, Mayoka, Mtoambu, and then you go to Gorongoro, you get Masai's community. There are four of them, two within the Gorongoro Conservation Area, Motlal and Misigio, and two other communities out of Gorongoro Conservation Area. And then you go all the way to northern part where you find Clans Camp. You've got another five Maasai's community which we are working with, Olosopani, Sero, Meroa, Soitsamu. And then you go across to Kenya. It's also Maasai's community, but in a different land. That's where you have Saparingo, Ilitolish, and Emuru Toto. And then back to, to, to Tanzania on island side, Zanzibar where we operate uh, with community uh, neighboring in Nemba, we've got eight communities which we are working there. So in terms of the culture, you can see it's a different culture from the coastal culture to Maasai culture and to other tribes which they are not Maasai, they are not from coastal. So even the challenge for those communities, they differ because of their culture backgrounds on those communities. So in terms of the, our East Africa region distribution, that's how the structure it is. And in terms of the number, we are working to about not less than 30 communities, like uh, 18 community in, in the mainland, and then eight community in Zanzibar, and three plus to four communities in Kenya. So it's a really big diversity and, as you say, quite complicated in terms of cultures and, and that. Um, and are these, these are mainly rural communities that you're talking about. Is that correct, Crispo? Yeah, they're all uh, rural communities in the neighboring the reserve area. So for Zanzibar, we're talking about uh, marine conserved areas. For Tanzania and Kenya, it's a reserve area around Serengeti, Gorongoro, Rek Manyala, and Masai Mara. Mm, absolutely. Okay, now... As Africa Foundation, there are specific sort of categories or, or impact areas that the projects that you that you work on fall under. Can you tell us a little bit on, about those focus areas? Yeah, thank you, Kasia. 
Uh, our focus area for Africa Foundations, we, with the fact that these are, are rural communities, we are focused, uh, I'll say, four categories. First is education, and then secondly is health, thirdly is uh, IGA, income generating activities, and the fourth one is uh, environmental awareness. So those are, are the four main categories which we are focusing. And the rural areas uh, on those four categories, all of them, they go so deep uh, when you want to, to, to work with, with them on that aspect. The access to education has is is, is been a very serious challenge to, to those rural areas. When you say access to education, means uh, first you are looking at a conducive environment for studying, like a very good classrooms, good accommodation for the teachers, and then also the, the number of students in the classroom. Let's take an example that uh, for, for Tanzania, the same as Kenya, like uh, the, the, the average number of students or the ratio in the classroom is 46 students in the classroom. But you'll find a classroom with 120 students. So just to put a picture of a classroom which is meant for 46 and it's got triple the number because you got 120. So the teacher even, for him to him or her to see the children and to access or to the direct interaction with the student, it's a bit of a, uh, a challenge. Mm -hmm. And then you come to, to the medical side, the access to a proper medical services. We're talking about the structures, that the proper clinic with the good facilities, uh, with the medical supplies, and then we are talking about the health workers because we might have built, you know, we might have buildings, but you don't have uh, uh, medical supplies, you don't have medical practitioners. So we are also working on that category, like uh, with building up clinics, uh, building up accommodation for health workers, uh, collaborating with the government for the medical supplies and running of the clinics, and then also on health we are talking about uh, access to a safe water. Yeah, you know, rural areas that uh, the water water system is not well developed yet uh, when we're talking about water access in African countries. So the same case to Tanzania and Kenya, that's still a, still a challenge. So they, for the, for the, this goes to the mother, Trace, and it goes to the children, and it, then it, it also goes to the fathers, that to the access to the proper source of water. And then... On IGA is our income generating activities. This is focusing on uh, improving the livelihood of the family, like uh, what the family can, can, can get for a day for them to, to survive. So we are trying to, to work with the small groups in the community to give them access to, to the projects or to become entrepreneurs so that they can have, uh, yeah, they can, have, uh, they can improve their livelihood for, for a day to, to day. Environmental awareness, this uh, goes with the fact that this rural community, which Africa Foundation and, and beyond we're working with, they are surrounded by reserve areas. But yeah, you'll find those people, maybe they're living 15 kilometers from Gorongoro or from Serengeti, but they only see like tourism cars passing, they see tourists, but they never have access to those reserve areas. So the awareness for them to become the future ambassador, they see we are talking about the students, but also the teachers and the others from the community. That's why are we having this, uh, this treasure? Why do we have Serengeti? 
Why should they take care of Gorongoro? Why should they con be considered for the marine conservation? So for us, the awareness, it's okay. already living adjacent to those areas. They have done a very huge contribution for those places to be there. So they should be recognized. They should see, get married from what they have done in a number of years. And they should be proud to translate that to, to, to the next generation in the community. So we do environmental and conservation air, uh, awareness in these communities. So that's, that's a really big portfolio that, that you're looking after. Um, and I'm sure it comes with very many challenges. You've spoken a little bit about the challenges that those communities face, you know, in the view of, you know, considering everything that's needed, how do you actually identify what projects to prioritize and what is the biggest challenge or the biggest need in a specific community? One thing which uh, I really like, and it, it does make uh, the work of Africa Foundation and, and beyond very successful in the, in the community, it's the methodology. Our methodology is consultation. Like we say that we work with the people. So all the projects are the community-led project. So during the process of need identification, community take the leads on the, on the, on the, on the identification of the project. We, we believe that we've got very wise people with lots of wisdom, elders in the community, and who are the one holding the, the position on the leadership structure of the community. So if they take the same role in identification of the project, that's uh, really accounts for the sustainability of that project. So the needs identification is led by the community. With through these uh, long meetings under the trees, you'll sit there. For, for me and my colleagues who are working here in East Africa, our role will be like to be a facilitator because for us, we've got that exposure. So that's the advantage which we are putting in on the table to facilitate that uh, discussion on needs identification. For example, you're holding a meeting in the community and then there'll be a needs on educational, someone will say about uh, classroom, someone will say about the school, school uniform. And then as a facilitator, you'll open that dialogue that uh, between the classroom and the school uniform, which one at least the community or the parent can afford. So you can see at least school uniform, the parents, despite the difficult environment and economy, but at least uniform you can access. And also the children can even go to school without proper uniform while the parents are working on that one. But to study under the tree where there is no roof, it means if it's a rain season, that classroom is not there. And for the teacher who is receiving salary from the government, he won't be happy because the teacher is a teacher as is working in urban area or is working in the community. So to motivate that teacher also to have a proper classroom, it's a very, very, very important. And you'll see that the community will see that one. And at the end of the needs identification, all will come into terms that uh, this is what we need. So there'll be identification on the, on the educational side and on health facilities. And I like the fact that uh, when it comes to medical or health needs identification, the community, they are so much touched with the, with the women's that uh, this will be most of the time the motivation that uh, women, they have to walk long distance. Either they are pregnant or not pregnant. 
And they, I like that they're recognizing the fact that mother is playing a big role in looking after the family. So they, they really consider that, uh, that women, they're not supposed to walk long, long distance. The pregnant mother, they're not supposed to walk long distance. And then the children as well. So they'll consider those are the main points on the project profile so that we can have access to that project of the health. Government role on the project is to lead us, like to give us the BOQ, to give us the design, and to give us commitments that will provide the, the, the people to work with or the, the, the professionals. Because uh, Africa Foundation and, and beyond, we won't run the projects, but the government will run. So always the government has been so supportive that they understand that there is a need for that clinic, there is a need for that classroom, but the country is big and the cake is small. So the government is working on priorities, but then when someone else is coming to give up a hand, like Africa Foundation and beyond, they're very happy to work together. And they also provide their technical support, like uh, the technical team from the from the engineering department to come and supervise the project, the guidance on how to set up like it's a clinic and so. So we've been working very, very well with the government structures and community leaders structure and project identification. So it's always pretty much a three-way partnership. It's Africa Foundation and the community and the government structure. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely correct. Mm. With the 7th of April coming up, which is World Health Day, I'd like to talk a little bit about one of the key focus areas, and I know it's something that, that's also very close to your heart, and that's providing healthcare to the communities. So the way I understand it, under the Future Foundations banner, um, Africa Foundation um, takes care of a number of, of healthcare initiatives. Could you talk a little bit about what falls under that you know, whether it's clinics or or access to water or community-based healthcare services. Can you just talk a little bit and tell us a little bit more about those categories of projects that you work on? Thank you, Kasia. Specifically for the healthcare part, and we're, as we're heading to that week, for, for the clusters I've mentioned, uh, to date, like uh, Lake Manyara, we've managed to, to have a clinic there. It was not built by us, but we've managed to make it operational because it was a, it was owned by a church, and then the church has left long ago, more than twenty years ago. And you can see, like uh, here, I'm talking about Mayoka Clinic. It give access to to three communities: Moya, Mayoka, and Magara. And between those three communities, to access the next clinic, there is two rivers. So during rain season. Those rivers you cannot cross because they don't have proper bridge. So this clinic is all uh, health facilities around there. And it's serving more than 4,000 people. That's a minimum number I can, I can share. And uh, as I mentioned about the culture, so the area before there was uh, uh, lots of uh, local belief, like uh, giving birth at home. And so. so having a clinic there and for the government to provide the doctor, and the nurse, it means people, they've got uh, very close access to those medical practitioners who are living there. So through that relationship, you know that in health, there is also a trust issue. It comes to a very good trust that they can even, those medical professionals, even contribute to the culture changes, like uh, giving birth at, at home, it's okay. But when there is complication, 
That's where it becomes very dangerous. So the best option always is to go to the hospital where if there is a complication, the doctor is there and the nurse is there and they've been well trained how to deal with the complication, which will lead to the, to the safety of the life of the baby and the mother. So take an example of a Mallorca clinic that uh, we have the clinic with the doctor and nurse and we've also built a, a doctor and nurse accommodation. Having those nurses there, you're talking about uh, three staff, but through those three staff, the nurse, how many pregnant mothers have gone through that process today? How many babies have been delivered by those pregnant mothers? And those babies, how many of them they've been, they'll be doing impact to, the, to those families? Like we've been there for over 25 years. So now we are seeing those babies now they're in other programs of Africa Foundation, like CLEF programs, like now uh, some of the structures we have, we have like uh, the youth groups in the community, who they are part of the process from the beginning. That's uh, for like Manyara. If I go, to, if I have to talk about a different culture, the Maasai culture, there used to be a culture uh, belief in the Maasai society that uh, hospital is not a good place because whenever you take someone to hospital, he died. And the, the reason for that, uh, let's say, let's talk about Ngorongoro. If you don't have clinic within Ngorongoro, it means the next clinic is to around Karat, which is very far. And the next proper hospital, another one, it will be like 200 kilometers. So the Maasai, they'll keep the patient at home, treat them with their local medicine and so on which is not a bad thing, it's a very good one. We've all grew up through that side. But then when there is complication, they need to be someone else to look after that. So it's a type of complication, that's a decision will come that let's take this patient to hospital. We are talking about not less than 100 kilometers for the next hospital. And the patient is already on complication. Either it's a pregnant mother or it's a baby or it's a father. So through that logistic of getting transport where there is no proper transport, when you get to hospital is a very late stage. And most of the time, this patient will lose his life. So now you see that beliefs come from there that hospital is not a good place. But the reason for the death of that patient is not a hospital. It's a time like between from the community, the decision, the transport to, to the hospital. So having the medical facility there, the clinic, it changes that per perception because the doctor is there two kilometers, three kilometer, kilometers from there. If it's very far, it's not more than five kilometers. They're having health talks within the community. So it's changed that you go to hospital and the patient will be healed. You go to hospital, the mother will give delivery to the baby very safely. So it means hospital is not a bad place. Actually, it's a very good place. And they can also share some of their local knowledge on the local herbs or local medicines. And the doctor will also advise on that, that even the modern medicine, they've been made from the trees and roots and so, but in a way which they can be measured and checked for complicated, for side effects and so. When you go to the coastal, now I'm crossing over to, to the coastal area, like to community around in neighbor. The same, that's... Uh, the women's there in the coastal society. The, the father leaves in the morning to go for a, for, for a work or whatever activities or come very late at home. The mother is looking 
after the family. And the cost of people keep big families. So there will be a lot of kids. So who will be the first person to advise the mother what to be done so that the family can be healthy all the time? It's a medical profession, either it's a doctor or a nurse. And the good thing, we're going to extend that the nurses and the doctors goes around. So in terms of our plans for going forward for health care, we are trying to, like Mallorca with one clinic, we are thinking probably of putting a second one. In Zanzibar now, we're working on a, a very big project. We are calling it a, a health center. It's called Kidagoni Health Center. This clinic will be serving more than four communities. These people, all these years, their nearby medical facilities is around 20 kilometers to, for them to access it. And the road, even without 4x4, four four, it's difficult to, to, to get to, to, to that clinic. So for them, having this uh, health center centered there, it will be a very, very good uh, uh, win in terms of the medical access. We have been in a, in a good talk with the government. They really happy for that to happen. Actually, the two vice president and the president have been to the site and they see that it's a need. So you can see that top level of the government, they see it's a need, but because of number of priorities they have, they have done part of it. And now AF, we are, we are going to work with them. So this project will start uh, the, the, at the beginning of the next financial year. Now we are looking on the groundworks. Uh, it's full funded, and then it will take it over from there. If you, 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 you'll try to picture the impact of that clinic, you can see, because it will take a number of years for the government to make that road in or proper. But the clinic, as soon as it's there, it means no need to use bicycle for the pregnant mother. No worries to go to the hospital at night because the clinic is right there. The, the other lessons, it's a, it's a lesson, but it talks to the future, the COVID-19 situation. We, we, we all remember that uh, the way COVID came, it was like a war. No one was prepared. So for the, yeah, for the rural areas, it was a really, really challenge. And that is the time where the, the government and the community, we came to work very close because the facilities which were built in the community, they are the only facilities which they were there for the treatment and for isolation and for awareness. So we really thank the, the, the support of the government on that one, on providing the, the, actually for that time, they added even more stuff to support with the awareness campaign. The COVID facility uh, uh, equipments for protection, they were provided by the government and also Africa Foundation. And it went to an extent where even some of our doctors who are living in the, in the lodges, they, they were supporting or assisting with the medical awareness. So as to, to, to prepare our community for, for, I mean, for, for the worst case scenario, uh, we thanks God that we didn't get to that stage, but you could imagine like, how was it within the, in the urban areas? Then how could it be in the rural areas where the medical facilities are very challenging? So for me, uh, I'm excited about the health week as we're heading forward uh, with the plans which we have for now that uh, we have number of the health needs which have been identified. Uh, that's why I've mentioned that one. Well, also a clinic for Mallorca, and then we have got uh, just recently finished accommodation for for the doctors and nurses at the Cero. That is around class camp. 
And also, we are working on the water projects, which falls also under health category. So we'll be doing a water project at a place called Cerro, which is around uh, uh, closer to Clanscape, uh, around Serengeti, northern part of the Serengeti. And then for Kenya, a Morosoto clinic has been very good. The government, they are looking to put more equipment there and probably to add more medical uh, professionals there. So I'm excited about it, that uh, the level of uh, medical services in the category of health is not the same like the way it used to be five years ago. And it's looking more exciting going forward for the next five years. And I think it's really amazing the the level of impact of all the projects that you've talked about, because, you know, it's not just, it goes so much further than just, um, you know, affecting the health of the communities, everything that you've spoken about, the social, the emotional well-being. Um, it really, it's one of those things that, that, that permeates through the entire community. Um, so it's, it's quite an amazing aspect um, of what Africa Foundation does, I believe. Um, Crispo, just, just to talk a little bit about, you know, your, your personal feelings, um, as a medical doctor yourself, what has been the most fulfilling part of seeing the Africa Foundation healthcare projects coming to life? Yeah, thanks, Kesha. I think, uh, first I like the, that the, the, the fact that I've gone through the medical journey, so during the study, you experience what's happening because you, you study uh, in the hospitals because that's where you get your exposure and your practice. So you see the, the challenge which they're there. And then when it comes to practice, like uh, when I started to work first, I started to work in the government hospital. I remember my first day that I was shown that my office, it was just a wooden desk and chair. And then nothing else is there. And then the patient's coming uh, with a full trust on you that you are the doctor there and you know what to do. And as a child, probably you don't, you know, even your stock is not that good. So you don't know what case will, will this patient have. So with that experience and coming now to work with Africa Foundation with the consultation model in the needs identification, I think it, uh, it gives me confidence on my role as a facilitator of that under the three meetings, that uh, the community, they see the need of the clinic, but I can also add value that not only the clinic, but what else can be there. We are not talking about the big building in one level, so, but it can be even a single room, but what will be the most important things to have in that single room or two-room clinic? So for me, as a medical personnel, that's... Uh, uh, that helps a lot in supporting the community during needs identification process. And the, the thing I love is consultation. We can always go back to the community and say, please, let's sit down and review this one. And also, it speaks to on fundraising part because uh, donor, they, they come up also with the different way of the way they are seeing the need. They see the need of the clinic, but... Uh, for them being exposed to the more, I'll say, well-developed world, they see the, the, the clinic needs, the same need with the, the community see, they see it in a different way. 
we might be talking about uh, x-rays to be there, but while we don't even have only a derival bed for the community. So even in terms of the, of the, of the budget, so you, you, I can advise that the budget which you think that it's very small can make a very serious impact in the community. Uh, I can give an example. There was a doctor who was a, was a, was a guest in one of the lodges and he visited one of the clinic and found that the, there, there were no power there for the, for the, for the doctors maybe to do the service at night. Imagine for, for, the, for, the, for the doctor do the reverse at night without light. So you're using the, your phone lights. So a contribution of the solar equipment make a huge difference to that, uh, to that clinic. So for me, the, my exposure to the medical field, uh, I see that it's uh, really helping me in advising at the community level when you're doing needs identification. Also in our internal discussion when we do project profile for fundraising and so And also on the government, when I go to have meetings with governments, uh, it gives me confidence to discuss because we are talking the same language now with the district medical officers there, like what can, can be done in the community. And also for them, for the government, they feel very much comfortable that they know that we are speaking the same language. So sometimes it's even the government who are coming and advice, please, if you have uh, this opportunity, if you can assist us with this and that and that. Mm. I think... You know, while we've been talking, I think something that struck me as very important, what you said, is the perceptions of donors. Um, you know, even, even in our conversation, when you spoke a little bit earlier about, um, how communities have to travel 20 kilometers to a clinic, you know, many people, um, you know, in, in countries with a well developed transport infrastructure, people might think, well, 20 kilometers is nothing. But you have to remember, you have to understand that you're dealing with an area where that's extremely rural, where there are no roads, where a 20-kilometer journey could take a whole day. So I think it's absolutely fascinating that that changing of perceptions and that kind of working with, with assumptions that people might have, I think that must be a very, very important element of what you do as well. Yeah, yeah, yes, Kasia. And on that subject of the 20 kilometers, imagine that we are talking about the, during dry season. What about during rain season? That it's raining, heavy rain period, and uh, someone has to go to hospital. And probably this person has got pneumonia. And so, like, if it's Gorongoro, where the weather is very cold, and you have to walk through through the rain. So it's, it's, a, it's very, very important in a donor perspective to understand the need. So... Uh, back to consultation model of uh, Africa Foundation. It does not only work in the community, but also it works when uh, you are in, in the discussion with the donor to understand the projects. Because understanding the projects, it, it's really count for the impact of that project at the end. Chris, but this might be a little bit of an, of an unfair question, and I'm just throwing it in here. Do you have a favorite project that, you know, that you've worked on for such a long time and you've seen the impact of, and it just... It has a special place in your heart. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kesha. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it's, it's a little bit like asking you about if you have a favorite child. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, it, it, it's, it's very fair. It's very fair. I'll start by saying before that favorite project, like uh, I'll say for me, the day where I feel that I'm really enjoying with my heart is usually the day of the handover. And I always I don't like to sit at the high table. For me, it's not my pleasure. I like to sit at the back and see how the community, they are enjoying that day. Uh, we might be talking about uh, the dances, traditional, which is there, the food and drinks, but it's more than that. It's more than that. The way the people, they see it like, wow. So now we have our own clinic. Now we have our own secondary school. So back to your question. Uh, currently, I'll talk about the the Taragate Secondary School in Moya, mm -hmm. Mallorca. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for me, that's, uh, it's really touching my heart. Firstly, uh, the way we came to that project, during the needs identification, because Moya and Mallorca, they are two communities with uh, like 10 kilometers distance in between. So they've got two leadership structures differently at the village level. At the district and government level is one district. So the needs comes from both community meetings on the identification process. And then when we went to the government, they also mentioned needs. Both community, Moya and Mallorca, have got primary schools. It means they've got enough number of students to feed the secondary school. And then these two community, they, are, they have two rivers, which you have to access the next secondary school, which is called Magara. And by that time, or even Magara Secondary was full. So it's like it's overcrowded. So even if we want to support Magara like building a dormitory or classroom, it was not possible. So instead, probably of, sol of solving or sub the problem, probably you're adding to the problem because you're putting dormitory needs more students and more load to the teachers. So the, we went to, to the option of the secondary schools, but when you're talking about secondary school, you're talking about classroom, admin blocks, ablutions, uh, laboratories, physics, chemistry, biology. Uh, and then it, it's, it's a challenge to, to, to that, I mean, to, to, to that, to that stage. So in terms of budgets, that's a high budget you're talking to have all those structures because you cannot have a secondary school without laboratory. You can have classrooms, but how can you balance when you have from one, two, three, and four? And then how can you make one of the classrooms to, to be a laboratory? So it was also another challenge in terms of fundraising. And then it came an opportunity that uh, we had donors who were looking for a secondary school project. And then to us, it was like, this is the chance. We tried so much, I remember, in the office dialogue, to try to make the, the budget sound uh, reasonable, but it was tough with the structures I mentioned, yeah. So at the end, the lower we tried, that's what we could uh, share with the donor. And I'm glad that when we shared, it didn't took longer. It was like a, a year we had a donor, and for me, the, the donors turns out to be uh, targeted, the shareholders for and beyond. So with my journey of how did I come to end beyond this because of the value, care of the people, wildlife and land. And now the donor himself is going to, to an extraordinary end to, to support the community. To me, that was really, really heart touching.
I mean, how can I explain that legacy? How can I uh, say that or share with my grand or granddaughter or sons that I was part of that process, that uh, my hand was also part of that process. And to make it more exciting for me, when we had the funds to start phase one, which the government allow us to do it in phases because it's a big project, then COVID-19 came. So while you have everything, and then COVID-19 came like an obstacle that you cannot do this project because now you have to go to isolation. So it's a project which we implemented. If you could see the pictures of it, we are conducting meeting outside, standing like a two meters distance between <laughs> each other. <laughs> yeah. You remember the first wave where everyone was like so emotional, like a, like a, a yes. scared, like you're scared yeah. of even of yourself, like probably my hand, this one is not clean. This one is not yeah. clean. And now we, 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 we're glad that the government that give us permission to go and do it. I remember in our meeting with our operations manager, we were saying that we have COVID, but COVID will pass. After COVID, we'll, there'll be life, and this project will be highly needed because we'll need space for the kids to study. So these classrooms, they are very, very important. And the, the government went further. They say these facilities will help us uh, in more number of things. So then we, we, we proceeded with the project. So we started that project in the middle of the pandemic. And then we had the supplier and the good part of consultation that the village leadership play a very good role in supervision of the projects. And then it came to the end that the first, first phase was completed. And what a joy for me to see today that the students are there already started when phase one is completed. And it was more exciting when I visited there like uh, three weeks ago. I found that they've got, uh, they've got uh, now they've got eight classrooms. Because in our plan, it was four classrooms at the beginning. And then the second phase was two classrooms and teachers accommodation. Because the government came so well on board. On the initial plan, we saw the government will bring only four teachers, but the government brought in 11 teachers. So even the, the accommodation we planned was not enough. So we had to, to change the phases that we need to have more accommodations. And then what I found two weeks ago is that uh, year two, they are staying at the school. We don't have dormitories yet, but the parents and the school leadership and the village leadership, they say they want the best performance. So they have extra classroom. They put mattress there and the mosquito nets so year two, they are staying there because they have got exams this year. And the fact that they've got uh, good ablution with good water facilities, then that's not a problem. So they've turned up two classrooms to be like dormitory, one for boys, one for girls. And in the plan, we have dormitories, not on this phase, probably next phase, which is coming next year or for a year. So you see how much effort or how much community uh, they've been touched by this project. So I'm, and not only me, them themselves. And how many number of the students will go through that student, yeah, through that school? You see girls. We, 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 we have a saying here that, uh, and I've been very believing that one, that when you educate a girl, you educate a family because she's going to be a mother one day. She was going to look after the, the kids. And 
Women will always focus in the economic status of the family, but the mother do play two roles, looking after the economy to balance what is being brought by the father, but also making sure the well-being and the social part of the kids. So those kids who are going there in, the, in those classrooms, let's say we're talking about uh, 46 maybe today, how much impact to the family? We're talking about 46 families here. And then, and more, and more, and more. So there is so much legacy to that project. So to me, for for now, I'll say that's my highlight project. That's an amazing story. And uh, I can just imagine the impact that it will have going forward. Crispo, um, just to end off with, you know, you've spoken about some of the of the future plans that, that you have coming up for various projects um, in East Africa. But can you just briefly talk about what are your hopes and dreams um, for the future of the communities where Africa Foundation works? Yeah, thank you, Kesha. Uh, that's a very interesting question in terms of the insights and the way forward, also for the, for the plans of foundations. Uh, our motto in Africa Foundation, we have been saying empowering community, uh, enabling conservation. So, Conservation is a backbone here, but then empowering community uh, play a big part because at the end of the day, what we are looking for, uh, for me, is like a, the community to, to, to play that role of facilitator, which I'm playing now, that seeing people in a different, uh, seeing things in a different way, like uh, from the needs of identification of the project, from project supervision, the maintenance of the project, the ownership and sustainability. We, we spoke about the three dynamics of, in the projects that's community, Africa Foundation and beyond and government. So a government, uh, at first, we, we thought that they'll be taking the sustainability part, making sure that the project is running, but at the same time, they are looking after the structures because uh, after the number of years, definitely you'll need to repair the buildings, the water system, and so. But due to the government having the having a lot of tasks on their plate, because number of people is increasing day and day, like taking example like Tanzania, twenty years ago it was like uh, forty people, forty million people. Now we are talking about fifty-five. This year we'll have another sensor. We don't know what's the number, but it's a really serious high number. So it's like double. So it means. Government will never have that opportunity to look on some of the of the aspects which they believe they will do. And who will take that role? It's the community. So that's what's empowerment. So it comes to when it comes to a stage where the community uh, have been empowered, their livelihood have, have been improved to an extent that they can contribute even a few few I mean few shillings to repair, to paint a classroom, to do this and that. That's for me, it's, uh, it's uh, what I, I, I'm really looking forward to see. And I can see it's already happening. I can give an example, like in Gorongoro at Misigio Clinic. Uh, when the clinic started, the government brought in only a doctor, but then the community, through their own contribution, they had a nurse who was working there and they were paying through their own contribution. And the same happened also at the clinic at Lake Manyara. So that defined the, the sense of empowerment to the community. Now they are seeing it like it's not the government role to bring someone and pay. Yes, it's a, it's a government role, 
but we are the one living here and we are the one looking at this service. So we can also play our part. So in a bigger vision, for me, that's what I'm seeing. If we are talking about Zanzibar now with the direction of uh, the blue economy, what would the community are seeing on the marine conservation? What are we talking about when we are talking about coral reef uh, maintenance? Like when you're talking about coral reefs, like you're talking about a nursery or a garden where that you, you, you grow up trees and then you take them to somewhere else. So this uh, coral is, is where you got all your fish and so octopus and so grow up. But if the community, they are not empowered, they don't have awareness that if they go and fish on the reef, it means they are killing up the nursery. So after 10 or 20 years, we want a reef, they want a fish, and if you're talking about costs or mode of life daily, it's about fishing activities, that's it, comes first. Yeah, so what will the next generation inherit? So the awareness and empowerment of these communities, it means it goes back to them uh, looking at their own treasures, which uh, God has created for, for, for them. So to me, that's the vision I'm seeing that uh, through our methodology of consultation, we are looking after the conserved area, but this, at the same time, we are creating that awareness to these communities and empower them to take the front role in looking after everything which they have in the community. That's a very, very exciting change to be to be driving and to be seeing in the communities, I think. Chris Poe, thank you so much. It's been really, really amazing talking to you. And I could I could go on chatting to you for ages, but um, I think for this time we'll end now and hopefully you'll come back and chat to us again sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you, Kesha. It's my pleasure. I'm uh, really looking forward for us to share together the, 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 this journey of the impact story in the rural community surrounding the reserve areas. Thank you for listening to Leave Our World a Better Place. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to find out more about And Beyond, please log on to our website at andbeyond.com.